Welcome to The Church Door, a place where I can post my Bible studies and sermons for your listening pleasure. I'm the Reverend Matthew Fenn, pastor of St. Peter's Evangelical Lutheran Church in Stratford, Ontario. Thanks for tuning us in. All right, let's pray. Lord God, you have caused all your holy scriptures to be written for our learning. May we so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by the patience and comfort offered by your holy word, we can embrace and ever hold fast to that blessed hope of eternal life, which is offered to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Welcome, everybody, back from Advent and Christmas and all that fun stuff to our uh, Bible study. Uh, if you remember, um, um, hopefully uh, you, when you picked up these questions, you had a chance to look at them uh, and, and we'll, uh, we'll get into those uh, shortly um, as we, as is our custom now, I'll, I'll take, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes or so, 25 minutes, just give you a, a quick recap of, of the story, highlight a, a few things bring up some historical details, give you a little bit of application. Um, basically, I'll give you a, a, a summary of, of what I would probably take into a sermon before I prep it with the main application I would try to get across. And then we'll open it up and use those questions for discussion. Um, all right, so the background. So the last chapter, last time we, we got together, um, uh, we had Saul meeting with that witch at Endor. Um, you should remember that. Uh, and it was the, the eve of a great battle with the Philistines. Um, and, and Saul got a word from the, the soul or the ghost of Samuel telling him that he was going to die the next day. So now as we pick up in chapter 29, the story's backtracked in order to follow David. Uh, and it's backtracked in time. So we're, we're jumping back now before that battle and seeing what happened to David. Because the question of this story is, would David be forced to do what he'd always refused to do up to this point? That is, take up his sword against Saul. So just remembering a little bit about where David finds himself in, in this time. Um, David has fled from Saul into the wilderness of Judah. Um, there he became an outlaw and gathered around him a, a substantial following of men who are also outlaws. And he organizes this group into a raiding uh, band. And David and his men, um, as of chapter 27, have been hired out by the Philistines as mercenaries. So David is serving as a mercenary for the Philistines. Um, they gave David and his men charge of the town called Ziklag, and that's in the south of Israel. Um, and so they put him there to, in order to protect the Philistine southern border, um, far from the main cities, and, and, and they thought that was a good strategic place for him. Um, from there, David and his band have been terrorizing the inhabitants of that region. They've been pillaging their settlements, slaughtering entire populations of any towns they've raided. Um, so that word does not get back to um, the Philistine commanders of what they're really up to. Um, it seems that he only spares his own tribe of Judah. And in fact, as we'll see in this chapter, or in these chapters, um, he's been sending the spoils of his raids back to certain clan leaders in Judah. So David's greasing the wheels in Judah. And, and next week you'll see why um, you'll see, you'll see all this come out in the politics of what's going on. So that brings us to our text today, chapter 29. Our text begins with the massing uh, of the entire Philistine army. So this isn't just one or two small divisions. This is the whole army. And so um, they're gathering at the same place for war that's stated at the be very beginning of 1 Samuel, which is in chapter 4, verse 1. It's, it's the same place they're gathering. Um, it's, the battle is kind of, the geography is kind of weird because it's, it's kind of 
out of the way for both Philistia and Israel. Um, it's in the north. It's kind of a weird place, but um, it's likely that, that Saul was up in the north with his army trying to subdue some other non-Israelite tribe. Um, um, so it's likely then that Saul is trying to um, uh, consolidate his position in the north so that he can um, reuse his army in the south. And this is obviously a threat to the Philistines. And so they took uh, this opportunity to get all their armies together and attack um, Saul. And last time we met, uh, the text said that Saul was very scared. He was disturbed by what he, what must have been for him, this completely unexpected attack by this gigantic Philistine force. So David and his men, because they're mercenaries for the Philistines, they left Ziklag, traveled the 80 so kilometers to the Philistine armies, and they gathered together. But when they gathered together, those Philistine commanders see David, and they think of him as nothing more than a security risk. And we're going to get into what they're afraid in of in the questions. Um, but they know that David is not no longer just an outlaw. Um, David is actually, if you're paying attention to the, and I, and I wouldn't have got this had I read through this, but once you read the commentaries, um, it, it becomes pretty clear. What David is doing is, is David is, is more than just a mere outlaw. He has been um, gaining and amassing political power in Judah behind the scenes for quite some time. And the Philistine generals know this. They call, they call David the king of the land. Um, so, um, they, um, so, um, they know, they know that, um, David is up to something and they don't quite trust him. Um, they're afraid, obviously, that David's going to switch sides in the middle of the battle. That's what they're afraid of. So the Philistine generals want to send David back to Ziklag. All right, Pastor, um, we're admiring your baby there. Oh, Yeah. Um, that's okay. Uh, just please uh, uh, mute yourself there, and, and, I'll, and, and then we'll open it up for discussion in just a tad. Okay. Um, where was I? Oh, yes. Okay. Um, however, <laughs> Akish is very gullible. He comes to David's defense and says, hey, I've never seen any fault in this guy in the more than year and he's worked, worked for me. Agish has been completely duped by David and his cunning. Uh, David has been using a strategy of misinformation um, concerning these raids he's been launching out of Ziklag. He's been raiding and pillaging Philistine allies, claiming he's attacking cities of Judah. And so that's why he's slaughtering men, women, children, the whole towns, because he doesn't want any, um, he doesn't want any of the people reporting back to the Philistines what he's really up to. Um, and he's taking that money and he's giving it to Judea. Um, the Philistine, um, uh, so David has no problems deceiving Achish in spite of the positive way that Achish is treating him. David um, shows that he is a wonderful actor. And in this chapter, you see him with this air of injured innocence in response to the decision of the rulers. Oh, I'm going to serve you. Um, but David's cleverness has actually backfired because he finds himself in this terrible position where now the army's going out to war and he's going to have to fight against Israel. He's been trapped by his own deceit and cunning and dis duplicity. Um, David is good at the duplicity and playing the role of the loyal mercenary, but now he's been given a chance to escape from a very impossible situation. Um, I want to point your attention to, you just to, you catch a sense here of just how masterful David is with his words. Look at 29 verse 8, and he says there, um, 29 verse 8, David said to Achish, 
but what have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered into your service until now that I should not go and fight against the enemies of my Lord, the King? My Lord, the King, which King is he referring to? Is he referring to, is he referring to Achish or is he referring to Saul? That I would not go up against the enemies of my Lord, the King. He's, it's a double entendre. He's speaking out of both sides of his mouth. David is fantastic at this. Okay. So David is sent away. We come to chapter 30 now. David and his men trek for three days, the 80 miles or so, back to their home. They arrive to find the town is in disaster and devastation. It has been burned to the ground, raised, and their families have been taken captive. And not surprisingly, this was all too much for them. The men don't know at this stage, by the way, that their women and children have been captured, but not killed. Um, the guilty party here are the Amalekites. The Amalekites, ironically, are following a less violent policy than David does. David leaves no survivors, um, but the Amalekites kept everybody they took alive. Um, maybe we're supposed to <laughs> ponder on the fact that pagans were uh, more merciful towards um, in their practices than David is. Um, by the way, there's a um, the Amalekites should remind you that in chapter 15, they were the ones whom Saul failed to kill. Um, he failed to wipe them out, and that's why they're still pesking around. So if, if Saul had actually did what he was supposed to, um, 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 uh, if he would have done what he was supposed to, that, that this would not have happened. Um, uh, additionally, the Malachites are attacking and destroying this town in retaliation to the fact that David has been attacking them, um, and that's mentioned back in chapter 27. Um, we see as a result of this a, a very realistic picture of, of David's men. They're exhausted, they're emotionally distraught, they're frustrated at David, and they aim their anger right at him. David brought them to this town. It was all because of David's strategy of being um, cunning and duplicitous and and, and uh, tricky uh, in raiding the surrounding territories and, uh, of the Amalekites and lying to the Philistines. And so David's men place all their blame squarely on David and they threaten to take his life. Um, I mean, if your home was burnt and your family was missing, perhaps uh, suffering terrible fate, you're tired, you're exhausted, you've literally just walked 80 miles. You, this is completely understandable. <laughs> um, we're kind of, we're again reminded that God is at work in all the twists and the turns of the daily lives of his people, especially in this story, David, God is showing David, uh, and, and it's obviously in a very painful way, the consequences of his foolish choices. David had placed his trust in his own cleverness. And now he had come face to face with the results of his uh, self-reliance. Um, and so at, at this point, David turns to the Lord for guidance. And David, this is, David's turning to the Lord in this time of great distress this is the first time in this whole series of episodes, begin, it's the first time since before chapter 27, that David has actively sought the Lord's help. So David's relationship with God has suffered during this time uh, because he's chosen to go his own way to trust in his own cleverness. Um, God permitted and allowed this disaster to fall to be, happen in David's life, but it, it was only just enough disaster um, for God's purpose. Uh, since David suddenly realizes that the Lord is trying to get his attention because of the, through this adversi adversity he's going through uh, himself. So David is kind of like this prodigal son in Luke's gospel. He finally comes to his senses. And there are many points in the Psalms 
when you read David's Psalms, which reflect this, um, and they kind of tell you how he must have felt. David is attacked by his enemies, accursed by friends, totally at the end of personal resources, and so he throws his trust in the Lord. This is the defining difference between David and Saul. Saul, does, Saul never takes that next step um, in, in coming to uh, the end of his personal resources and having to trust in God. Uh, um, uh, and so David's trust in God, and you, and you see it in the Psalms, comes from his own personal experience of the strength that God gave him in these very desperate situations. Um, and that's a strength that the Lord can give to us too. Um, and, and we can find encouragement from David's experience when we read the Psalms. Um, so then um, David turns to the Lord. This, uh, I think, calms down the men. And then he takes the 600 already exhausted men off to, um, um, off to fight uh, and, and track down th their, um, their families. Uh, the, the place they're going through is barren, it's inhospitable, it's the desert. Um, and so a, a third of them just can't summon the energy to, that they need to cross this ravine that they have to go through. And it would involve a hard climb down and an even harder climb back out of the other side of the ravine. So these men, stay behind, likely with the supplies that were too cumbersome to take through this ravine, this valley. Um, this is when David shows mercy to a person in need. There, these 400 men who are pressing on, they come across this young Egyptian. He's in an even worse state than they, they were. He was one of the Amalekite slaves and he feels no, no loyalty uh, towards the Amalekites. And after a good meal, he readily leads them to the, um, the, the location of the Amalekites. The Lord gives David and his men this decisive victory over them. Um, David's uh, rescue mission is remarkably successful considering he's quite outnumbered. I mean, the text says that 400 men on camels ran away and David only had attack with 400 men. So David's guys, his, his fighting team is very good at what they do. Um, besides the fact that the Amalekites were unprepared and totally reveling and dancing it up. Um, so David, they get their property back and they get a whole lot more. Those Amalekites had obviously taken um, opportunity of the fact that the whole Philistine army was busy elsewhere to start raiding. And so David got a lot of spoil out of this. Um, and he acknowledges that the victory doesn't come from him. It comes from the Lord. That's a big difference between David and Saul. Um, David, um, there's a little account there of David making sure that the, 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 the plunder that they took is evenly distributed so that those who stayed and watched the supplies would get the, uh, an equal cut with those who went up to fight. Um, David then takes the spoils at the end of chapter 30 and gives them to very specific clan leaders of Judah. And they're all in the region allocated to Caleb. They're the Calebite leaders. Most of the cities are in that hill, southern hill country of Judah um, and in the place called the Negeb. They're all Calebite cities. Now, this is important as we move forward in the next, next week because David's wife, we've already met her, is a Hinnom of Jezreel. She's a Calebite. Uh, Nabal, remember Abigail and Nabal. Nabal was an important Calebite chieftain. Uh, by marrying Abigail, David has not only inherited all of um, Nabal's wealth, he's also inherited his social standing and political position in the tribes of Judah. So by David marrying uh, Abigail, he's enhanced his power base. Uh, because of this, um, it's also expedient for David to marry Ahinoam, who is the daughter of an important community leader within this region. So David is actually um, expanding his 
power base and economic growth uh, with these guys. And he's taking all these clan leaders of this specific section and he's making sure they're well, that they're well paid for and, and any money he gets, he sends their way. Um, so that's, um, that, that's important to see that David is doing that. Um, he, he's um, in, a, in essence, he's starting the process of building he, he has started the process of building a rival country inside Saul's territory. He started that process already. All right, and then you come into the last chapter of 1 Samuel, chapter 31. There's the, 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 the account of the battle. Um, Saul um, with the, and his army against the Philistines, and it was a disaster for the, Philistine, for the Israelites. Um, the way the story is told is very telling. The Philistines fought and the Israelites fled. <laughs> um, the result is the death of Saul and his three sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malchishua. The Israelite army is completely routed and a whole chunk of Israelite territory becomes occupied by the Philistines. Um, the end result of Saul's long rebellion, now you can see that. It's, it's, his, re his refusal to repent, his refusal to embrace the responsibilities that God had wanted of a king uh, has not only led to disaster for himself, it's led to disaster for his family and to the nation that he's ruled. Um, and that's exactly what Saul, Samuel warned on the occasion of Saul's inauguration in chapter 12, verse 15. Um, there's the tragedy Part of the tragedy of Saul's death is that his, his death brought the death of the godly and faithful Jonathan. Um, yeah. You see Saul committing suicide, which is a, it's a desperate act by a deeply troubled guy. And we've seen how his mental state isn't the best. Um, Saul's not a pious role model for us to follow. Um, uh, I mean, life is a gift from God, and um, the, the, for, the, the commandment clearly prohibits uh, taking your own life. Um, so um, this, is, this is one of the few examples of suicide uh, in the Bible. So on the day following the battle of the Philistines, they get the dead bodies of Saul and his three sons, and they cut off their heads, and they uh, display their bodies on the walls, and all sorts of nasties intent and this is part of their culture to disgrace or shame the victim and the nation uh, to demoralize them um this kind of thing um in the end um they're spreading uh the the inhabitants of this town called jabesh gilead um they they mount a rescue and they get the bodies and they bury them they rescue saul's bodies um uh, and I think the reason why they did that is a question, so I'll leave that. All right, just a, a, a brief little bit of application, and then we'll get into the study questions. In spite of David's failures, I think the clear message of this, these chapters is that the Lord has remained in control of everything that's happening in David's life, and he's graciously giving him a way to get out of a uh, situation of his, uh, of his own making that he shouldn't have been in, uh, this problem that he has. Um, this is a chapter where we see that there are disastrous consequences for silly and foolish actions, uh, but sometimes uh, God intervenes uh, and, and saves his people from their own uh, foolish uh, choices. Um, it's only because of that gracious intervention of God David is delivered from his dilemma. Um, so don't see chapter 29 as uh, David had a lucky break. It's, it's God's direct hand um, getting David out of a situation uh, that he put himself in. So God in his grace and his mercy continues to move his plan forward in spite of human failure and sin. What we see in this is we get a, a surprising insight into the way God works in the lives of his people. We can learn a lot about uh, who God is and, and how he 
uh, encourages the disciples, how he sustains the lives of his people. Among other things, this tells us that God directs uh, events and matters that might seem to us just accidental, coincidental, or just life in a fallen world. Um, um, sometimes what things look like a, an, an unfortunate turn for events might turn out good. Uh, we don't know. It may turn out good for David. Um, um, the point, though, is um, the Lord was seeking to bring David back to dependence on him rather than living on the, uh, on the assumption of his own uh, ingenuity, uh, his own trusting in his own resources, uh, the tendency he could think he could be self-reliant. Um, uh, when bad things happen to us, uh, that's a cue for us to also stop being self-reliant and trust in the Lord. Um, we, we learn how ready God is to forgive and to restore to fellowship someone who's gone the wrong way. Um, in addition, we see that God is, is willing to protect, bless and protect those who trust in him. Um, yeah. All right. So those were my, uh, that's my summary and, and some application of this of this text. Let's take a look at these discussion questions and see, and right, we don't have to, if we don't answer these questions perfectly or, or whatever, um, that's okay. Um, but these questions are, are here to, to foster discussion, to talk about this text. All right, so everybody can unmute themselves now. <laughs> um, so, um, so, um, Number one, summarize the events of the military uh, developments in these chapters. Uh, why was David not allowed to accompany the Philistines in their war against Israel? Let's, let's start there. The Philistine leaders thought he would uh, turn on them and not his own people. That's right. Um, how does David respond to their to 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 that? How does that, what's David's reaction to that? Shows that he's disappointed, <clears throat> um, but it it also in in my footnote says that it's to give credence to his deception. Mm -hmm. That's right. And, and um, how did the Philistine king, Achish, how did his, his decision ultimately fit into God's purposes for David's life? It allowed David to go back to Ziglag and, and uh, was able to defeat the Amalekites eventually. 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 That's right. And it, it also gave him an out so he didn't have to join in the fight yeah. against yeah. Judah. Yeah. Right. Um, you can see later on in 2 Samuel um, that it was a common, uh, throughout David's reign as king, it, it, it's a common idea or a common opposition against David is that he's an usurper. He took Saul's spot um and so you can almost see that this is written as a defense of david right uh david had nothing to do with saul's death he was he was 80 miles in the other direction right uh that kind of uh thing so in, number two is an interesting question do you think David was, what if the, the military commanders had let David go into the battle? Was David planning for fighting with the Philistines against Israel? Was he going to change sides in the battle? Since the Bible doesn't tell us David's plan, we can only guess what evidence supports your guess about David's plan. Do you approve or disapprove of David's plan? 
What do you think David was planning to do? Was this David's plan or was this God's plan to keep him out of the fight so that he would survive and be able to come back and rule here? Right, no, but the question is what what in what was in David's head? Like if he was if the generals hadn't sent him away, what would have what do you think would have happened? I think Go ahead, Pat. I think he would have turned against the Philistines, fought for his own people, because uh, he was doing that when he was with, what's that guy's name? Akish. Akish. <laughs> yeah. yeah, he was fighting, you know, behind their back, he was killing his their people. So I think he would have turned on the Philistines. Does anybody think that David would have actually fought for the Philistines? No. <laughs> no. no. I don't, I don't think, think so. No, I don't. I, um, now, the next question is, do you agree with David with that action? That, that that was David's plan. That's what he intended to do. Do you think that was correct? The right thing to do? David. David beard him off that path for a purpose because it wasn't going to work. <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> Yeah, there was a reason why God strayed him the other way. <laughs> yeah, he might have saved Saul. He could have saved Saul. Yep, that's right. All right, so then what happened? What happened, what happened next with David, his men, and his wife? Uh, um, while, while they, what happened uh, to their families and their possessions? Their city was destroyed and they were taken as hostages. Mm -hmm. um, and, and what do you think would have happened if they had stayed away long, longer to fight alongside the Philistines or against them? Uh, they may have lost everything, including their wives and children. That's right. Um, go ahead. No. So who's in control of this situation? Sending David back for his men uh, in home just in time to respond for the Amalekites. God. God. Yeah. Oh, so what does that, what lesson do you draw from that? That even in difficult situations, God uh, can change, uh, use those situations for good. That's right. Um, when do you think David learned that all of the, all of this was God's doing? Well, he called on him um, a little later. Was it chapter twenty nine or that chapter thirty? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you can see you can see he's beginning to understand that God's up to something in the end of chapter 29 after they get back and you you think once the news gets to him that saul is dead then he starts it starts to dawn on him why god has sent him the way he has right uh, so the, the point of that is to say um that it's sometimes it's only after the events are done that we see, that we can see what God's hand in in things. How in many verse, of you can? In verse four of chapter thirty, so David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. <laughs> that that would have been his his awakening, yeah, or his his bottoming out, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, that that's that's likely a good point. All right. Um, So, uh, da, 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 da. okay, yes, next one. Chapter, question four. Um, on returning home to find his city burned and his family kidnapped. Uh, that's not even a full sentence. Oh. What is the significance <laughs> of David's response um, to the crisis of chapter 30, verse 6? What's, what's David's response? We'll start that. Falls on God. 
He calls on God. Absolutely. Um, and how does he further respond in the next two verses after that? He strengthened himself in the Lord. Right. And he asks for what? Guidance. Guidance. Yeah. You remember, he brings this ephod thing. It's kind of like a magic eight ball. Yes or no kind of thing. <laughs> Hebrews chapter one. Uh, in many, in, in the King James, in many ways and diverse manners, God used to speak of old to his people by the prophets. <laughs> right? God, God used to speak in a lot of weird ways. Um, okay, so uh, what does that tell you about times of grief in your own life? That we should trust in God regardless of how dire and helpless we feel. Right. That's Because God is in control ultimately. And what should you be doing in a time of grief according to this section? We should be praying and strengthening ourselves. That's right. Praying, uh, finding, going to the place where God speaks. Uh, God doesn't speak through magic eight ball ephod things now. Where, where does he speak today? Through his word. Through his word. Right. Um, uh, and, and so that th that's important when you're going through a hard time. Uh, it's important to go to where God has spoken, to trust him and, and strengthen yourself in the Lord. That, that's uh, I think we can learn a lot from David's example here. Um, Reach out to other people, too. That, that's absolutely right. Absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, question five. While pursuing the Amalekites, what act of mercy does David perform? Oh, feeds the uh, Egyptian and helps the Egyptian get back to health. Yeah, and, 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 and how is that kindness rewarded? The Egyptian took him to where the um, uh, Amalekites were hiding. Mm -hmm. Another example of God's providence, right? He just happens to stumble across <laughs> the Egyptian who happens to know, you know, exactly where the um, camp was because he had just happened to get sick a couple days before, um, you know. God's in control of things, and just because you get sick, there might be uh, you get you get sick and you change your plans. Well, you don't, you never know what God has in plan, right? Um, we're not saying that every time you get sick, God's doing something, but sometimes God has a plan, right? Sometimes. sometimes. <laughs> um, now, why don't all of the men, all six hundred? participate in the fight and what precedent does david establish following their victory okay well regarding why all of them don't participate in the fight i think that's to show the power of god uh we've seen god do that in the past when he's limited the number of people that were allowed to fight in a particular battle and they entered the battle extremely outnumbered and yet defeated their enemies with god's help that's a really good point. I like that. And naturally, what excuse did they give? We're tired. We're tired, yes. Yeah. And so um, the author makes an interjection about David's decree. What, what does the author tell you? Everybody shares equally in the spoils. Everybody shares equally in the spoils. And that David made it a decree and it, it, it became the law of the land until the writing of this book, right? That, that's, uh, that shows you that David is concerned about the community, right? The, the entire group. Uh, and and, and it, uh, what does that, what else might that tell you about the kind of leader David is? Fair. 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 
you, so uh, would you think that, that this was a wise or a, a, a foolish choice on David's part? Very wise. Um, great. Question six. How do the Philistines prevail against Saul and the Israelites in, the, in this chapter, in chapter 31 now? Using archers, archers, right? Uh, some of the, some of the uh, the most fearsome in, in, before the advent of the gun, the most fearsome warrior in all of the ancient world was not your big brave knights with armor and big swords. It's your archers because they can stand far away and just you know that kind of thing. They also seem to have targeted the royal family to take them out. And yeah. that would have disrupted the leadership of um, the people of Israel. Right. And, and so in line with that, what does Saul see before his own death? His son's being killed. His son's being killed. Uh, yeah. uh, and as a result of that, probably, why does Saul want to be killed by his armor bearer and why does he commit suicide I think suicide would be against the fifth commandment which he knew about so right. if his if his armor bearer killed him uh, his legacy could live on in Saul's mind in his right. twisted mind right but I think the motivation was that he was, again, thinking only about himself and was fearful about what his enemies would do to him if they caught him alive. That's right. Yep. Um, and does, this is a, a modern application here, does God approve of suicide under any circumstances? No. No, no. Uh, not even assisted suicide, because that's what he's asking the um, his armor bearer to do, right? So what do you tell people who have kids that suffer from depression that commit suicide? Good question. Um, I think there's a difference um, here. There's no real signs that Saul's depressed, is there? He, no, but he wasn't sane either. He yeah, wasn't sane. That's right. He wasn't sane. <laughs> um, he was yeah. injured. The, the, um, uh, the, when, when it comes to suicide as a result of depression or, or mental illness, um, that's different than someone who kills themselves for other reasons. Um, mental it means that they're not thinking clearly they can't completely be held um held responsible for their actions uh in, in some I think in anybody this. that kills themselves is thinking clearly <laughs> um you, you you think at some at some i can think of hypothetical situations where but I mean it's not up for us to judge right was huh? Judas was Judas thinking clearly or was he so distraught that he had betrayed Christ that he lost all hope right yeah it's it, it's, it's really like it's, it's like you no you're you're right it, it's thankfully we're not the judge of these things and, and thankfully we have a God who is merciful rather than capricious right we have a god who will do what's right um and we have a god who knows us and knows our weakness and knows us down to the core um right um and, and he's able to um judge these situations better than, than we can i mean um because Saul was correct on how brutally he was going to be treated oh yes he knew absolutely yeah yeah. Um, but does that give him the right to take his life into his own hands? Right. 
That's a good know. time to pray to God and ask to be delivered from the situation, right? That would have probably been the wiser course of action. Right now, I don't know whether <laughs> God would have delivered him from the situation. Well, right? if he was right. heartfelt and repentant, um, he, he could have, but repented at least, but uh, he refused to, right? We, we've seen over the past few chapters how Saul has lost favor with God. So in doing so, he made his own choice to, to take, his, right. take his life. Take his life, right. So, um, Pastor. Yes. Um, has the thinking within the Lutheran Church changed then as far as, um, if I'm understanding properly, I think in the past some pastors would refuse to bury somebody that committed suicide? Yeah, you're right, mm. Steve. Mm. Good question. Um, boy, you guys are answering asking hard ones now. Uh, <laughs> I'm not trying um, to stump you. There is happened in the past in our congregation. My book here. Um, where is it? My oh, here it is. My pastoral care companion. Uh, the little thing I bring all around to sick visits, and I do it. This kind of thing. Uh, it's got whole sections here for funerals. It's got whole sections here for suicide. So um, we can we can do funerals for suicides because the uh, CPH and Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, and LCC have produced resources for for pastors to to do in that kind of in that kind of a situation. Um, Two sixty eight. I want to see if there's anything in here that is maybe helpful to us. Um, a former friend of ours committed suicide. He was just a young fellow. And uh, our pastor had a wonderful service for him. And that was in Lutheran Church. So, so you here, don't, here's... You, you don't want to... It's an opportunity for you to preach to the living. Right. And... Yes. and, and Explain the word of God. Uh, thought. Yeah. Here's the little blurb. It says right as the intro underneath suicide. It says suicide challenges the pastor to speak evangelically without offering false hope. Boy, that's hard. <laughs> suicide is a sin for, for which Christ died. In the face of things we cannot understand, the pastor will... Um, direct survivors to the sure promises of God in Christ Jesus, encouraging them to walk by faith and not by sight. Uh, and it's got psalms and prayers and hymns and such uh, to be used uh, in those kinds of situations. Um, and I could probably look look up more information on that. Um, but, I mean, that, that's... I, I, I know anecdotally in this area, and this is not in my memory, uh, maybe not even in my parents' memory, but these were handed down. But there are a couple of instances where people were buried outside of the bounds of the cemetery because they had committed suicide or buried backwards in the grave. Backwards? Yeah, so when Christ rises in the east with the rising sun uh, and the dead rise, they're going to have their backs turned to Christ. That was the logic behind that. I'm, I'm not kidding. Can I ask a question? Sure. Um, so your question, does God approve of suicide under these circumstances, or does God approve of murder during wartime then? Um, good, good question. Very good question. God does approve of just war um, or does allow just war. Um, uh, and, and so just war, in order for a war to be just, um, it has to be amongst other things in self-defense, right? Is it appropriate for you um, to defend yourself when being attacked? Absolutely, it's, it's okay for you to defend yourself when being attacked. Um, the same would, if your country's being invaded, is it appropriate for your country to defend itself? Well, absolutely. Um, it, uh, it, it is uh, appropriate. Um, and um, you get both of those things uh, mentioned in the New Testament. Um, so 
uh, is it? So Saul killing himself was his way of defending himself against the torture or that or what was forthcoming if he was captured. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying that. I don't know what Saul thought. I, you're the one who put yeah. the, the question out there. I'm just no, saying that. that no, I don't want to be in yeah. Saul's position. I don't think anybody would. Um, so I guess that's I, my whole question. And, I mean, and he didn't. And he also, let's give Saul just a tad bit more credit. He he says that he doesn't want disgrace to fall on Israel, right? Right. So um, he is thinking about his country. He is thinking about, um, he is thinking religiously, because you can tell he is, because he's referring, how does he refer to the Philistines? Uncircumcised. uncircumcised so he's thinking about god and his circumcision he's thinking about his nation right um um and so he has some thought other than himself uh but his response is to kill himself um because he doesn't see any other way out of the situation yeah complicated um so going back to the, the comment about war, it was all right for David to pillage the villages of the Philistines be, kind of behind their back and send the plunder to uh, the tribe of Judah? The, um, but is, is that war or is that David being? David. David. <laughs> right? He's still killing. It's looking at the aspect of war, uh, when God brought the people out of Egypt into the promised land, there were quite a few instances where God commanded uh, his people to wipe out whole yeah. societies. Yeah. Yep. But that's, that's different than what we're not commanded. Like right. there's different types of wars. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. this isn't commanded by. No, and, and and remember, he's attacking. David's attacking the the national enemies of Israel. Part of those groups whom God has told Israel already in His Word to wipe out, because they they do terrible things like sacrifice their children to Baal and and all sorts of nasty things. And God's had enough of them. Um, we could have just had some like really severe weather and wiped them out themselves without having to. <laughs> no, because it's it's also a test for God t says that it's a test for the people of Israel to see if they're going to listen to him or not. And when they fail to listen to him, he says, "Well, then I, you're never going to get rid of these guys, and they're going to be a thorn in your backside the whole the whole time you're in this nation because you are, are failing to listen to me." And that's in uh, Judges. Okay. And, and and the great flood, God did send weather to wipe out all of the bad people. That's right. And he said he'd never do yep. that again, at least by water. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Question seven. So all, although already dead, Saul is decapitated by the Philistines. Um, two other figures are decapitated in 1 Samuel, and that's in 5.5 5 and 17.51. and 17.51. Do you think this is just a coincidence? If it's not a coincidence, what do you think is the significance of this? What do these three figures have in common? They live by the sword and they die by the sword. Yes. That's true. But they all represent they all represent evil. The, the statue of Dagon mm -hmm. represented evil. Goliath was a figurehead yeah. of, of evil and Saul uh, although he was king, he had become evil. Right. So do you think this is a uh, coincidence or do you think this is an intentional parallel? Intentional parallel. Yeah, I, I so either so. way, they're an analogy of each other. So. Uh -huh. That's right. And so it's, it's saying that Saul has become no, no better than the Philistines, right? He's an enemy of God's people because he's failing to uh, repent and to do what God has asked him. 
All right, time is fleeting. Yeah, I, I made a note here uh, that it's symbolic of the fact that no one can avoid God's punishment if it is indeed their due. Hmm. Yeah. So how do, uh, question eight, uh, we kind of de um, dealt with, we already dealt with how they, they treat his body. What, what group of people brave, um, what group of people reverses that action? Why did they do it? And what does this act say about them? So who did it? Who's, who rescues Saul's body? The men of Jabesh Gilead. Jabesh Gilead. Why'd they do it? Saul had come to their defense when they were uh, being attacked by the Amorites. And what does that say about them? Say about them? Yeah. Uh, they were merciful? Yeah. They, they, they wanted to do good by the, the one who did good to them, right? The loyal, respectful, forgiving. Respected his authority. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they respected his authority, absolutely. Tells you a lot about them. So from the time... And again, there was, a, yeah, there was an analogy there between the mutilated oxen that were used to instill fear and the mutilated uh, Saul and, and his sons oh, as yes. well. Yeah. Um, so question nine. From the time of David's anointing to the death of Saul and David's rise to Israel's throne, 15 years have passed. All this time, God kept David on hold, as it were, while God waited and worked to bring Saul to repentance. What do you think this says about God's grace in your own life? God is slow to anger and abundant in grace. Right. He's patient with us. He's patient with us. Absolutely. Yeah, but ultimately, we must still repent. Absolutely. And that's the... That's the uh, warning of Saul, right? We can't, we have to take God's word seriously. Uh, and when we're confronted with it, we shouldn't get angry. Uh, we should repent. And uh, yeah, absolutely. That's right. And, and the other thing it tells us is um, God's grace is there for us, even if we think God has put us on hold, <laughs> right? Um, uh, just our plans. God's plans aren't our plans. <laughs> they don't. All, those two don't always line up. Um, all right. What do you think? What would you select as the key verse, key passage in these three chapters? Thirty twenty-three. Yes, that's what I had too. Thirty-one. Twenty-three. Yeah, that's what we had. Yeah. I had 3024. <laughs> You've been studying too much, Mark. Maybe. Yep. That, that's a good one. Yep, absolutely. The other one I had thought of was the one, um, uh, with the last part of verse six, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. Right. Yeah. That, that 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 was also um, a thought of mine. Are there any questions in your mind raised by these chapters that are still lingering? Any thoughts? Oh, was was Samson's suicide in Judges a good thing? Then he prayed before he killed himself. That is a good question. Boy, oh boy, that is a good one. Because God gave him the ability to kill himself. <laughs> God works in weird ways. You don't always understand. But, but also, was that not him sacrificing himself to kill the enemies it by is, knocking down the temple? That's true, too. Yep. Yeah. So there's yeah. a little bit of Christology in there. There is. Because it says there's there are more who were saved by it. There are more... more died in his death than in his life. Uh, and the opposite is true of Jesus. More were saved uh, uh, in, by his death than they were, than were in his life. It's, it's their mirror image of each other. Yeah, anyway. Good, are good. We, uh, are we going on to Second Samuel? Absolutely. I sent the questions out okay. yesterday. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, the story, the story picks right up. 
then we wouldn't have to worry about Saul committing suicide. Why do you mean? Well, I read ahead. Oh. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's the very. You're studying that's too much. <laughs> that is the very first study question. Yeah. That's the very first study. Yeah. So, so next week it's chapter one and two of Second okay. Samuel. Um, right. The story of David ends at the end of Second Samuel, um, and then at the end of that, we can decide whether or not we want to stop there and, or move on to First Kings or do something else. Um, so, um, Pastor, yes, you okay for one more question? Going back, to, going back to uh, what Wendy had mentioned about assisted suicide, uh, that certainly is becoming quite a, uh, I don't know if I'd say a common thing today, but more and more common, more and more acceptable. Mm -hmm. How do you respond when people say, well, you know, we do that for animals, you know? Um, I mean, we can sit here and we can say uh, that we don't believe God wants us to commit suicide. And I agree with that for sure. Right. But how do we, how do you tell others that, that, you know, um, especially if they're going through a lot of suffering? Yeah. The difference, the, the, the difference is between uh, us and animals is uh, humans, uh, yeah, we don't, humans have, are made in the image of God. Right. Um, that's, if you look at um, somewhere in Genesis after chapter nine, I think it might be chapter nine, um, uh, right after the flood, God commands Noah and he says, you can, you can kill animals to eat them, but do not kill man because he is made in the image of God. That's, that's, that's what God tells Noah when they get off the ark um and so we are made in the image of god there's something that differentiates us from the animals um and, and there's a lot of things that do um and so uh we're not what we do to animals is different than what we do to us because we believe that god has given humans life and we're made in the image of god um and that requires a special um treatment of course, that's going to be hard to tell somebody who doesn't believe in the Bible because they're going to be like, "Well, I'm, it's going to be gobbledygook to them, right?" They're not going to, <laughs> they're not going to it's, buy I mean, it. But. If you if you have this discussion with people, I mean, you're right. You only get so far. Um, they understand where you're coming from, but right. they totally disagree. And it's like, you know, how how can it be so? Uh, you need to be more compassionate. You need to allow them to, you know, forego the suffering and stuff like that. But and, and you kind of get to a point. You get to a point where you kind of stuck yeah, knowing how to respond. Yeah. But we're doing this already when we use morphine. Regardless right. of what you and I want to think, morphine is given until it stops the heart in the body. So whether we want to acknowledge what we're doing in reality in life, we assisted suicide is one we we come out and express it. But when we use it on morphine on our loved ones who are dying of cancer, we are basically, they will increase that dosage until it's done. And this, that's the sad truth. So I don't know how I, because I, we wrestled that with that. That's what we had to wrestle with my dad. Because to me, I felt like we were doing something wrong, but I can't let him continue on in pain either. So it's not as clear cut as you and I want to think it is. Do you know, these are very difficult questions. I mean, um, there is a really good website if you want to dig into some of these things, Lutherans for Life. Um, have you guys heard of that? They're, they're out of um, uh, Missouri Synod. Uh, they came up a couple of times and did some presentations at the seminary. Uh, Lutherans for Life, look them up on Google or whatever. Um, they have lots of articles by pastors and, and different people on um, all sorts of life issues from including uh including the uh assisted suicide um i confess i'm it's it's hard for me to um to answer these fully i'm not the best on bioethics that's this whole i, I would have to do some study and some reading on it uh, before i would able be my wife lauren on the other hand who was a nurse she's far more qualified on these things uh than than i am uh but um, there's, so if I was, somebody asked me to, to actually provide 
more than just an off the cuff answer. Uh, the first place I would go is I would go Lutherans for life. The second place I would go. Well, um, is um, there's a uh, uh, book that we had recommended to us in seminary called Bioethics. Um, da, da, da. Yes, Holy People, Holy Lives uh, by Richard Ayer, E-Y-E-R. Um, Law and Gospel in Bioethics. Um, it's short and concise chapters. The author guides readers through the process of making ethical decisions from a law gospel perspective. Ayer's uh, easy to read style helps readers focus on the issues and dilemmas that confront people in this modern high tech age, including reproductive technology, end of life issues. Uh, in the course of this discussion, Ayer presents biblical and gospel insights into living as God's holy people redeemed in Christ. I mean, it might be worth looking into doing a study on this book uh, if, if there's enough people interested in it. But that's that's the book I was that was recommended to me in seminary, and I I I'd heartily recommend that to any to any of you if you're interested in this. And if we want to do a study in that this summer, uh, I like doing topical things in the summer. Um, uh, if we want to do that, we can. I can definitely pull that out and we can give it a read and together and, and do that. Matthew Block, who is uh, editor of uh, Canadian Lutheran, his wife has very good uh, topic on that too. At our LWL convention, she spoke and I was at her, at her uh, session mm. and she's got a lot of good uh, insights. insights. Mm. She's a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Those are difficult issues. Let's, um, let's offer a prayer. And then um, if there's anybody else wants to chat, we can, but we'll stop the recording. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for uh, this Bible study, for what you've told us, that you, uh, despite all of the hard circumstances, we even find ourselves in now with lockdown and COVID. We uh, trust that your hand is guiding us uh, and, and that you have good things set in store for us, if not in this life, then in the life to come. We ask, oh Lord, that you would help us to always repent of our sins and trust in your uh, fatherly care and guidance in our daily lives. Uh, and in the midst of so many difficult uh, uh, ethical decisions, we ask that you would help us to uh, seek you and to uh, trust in what you've revealed to us in your word. And this we pray through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You've been listening to The Church Door. Thanks again for tuning in. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, you can reach me, Pastor Matthew Fenn, at revfenn, R-E-V-F-E-N-N, at iCloud.com. Look forward to to having you with us again next time.